If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab those and turn to Daniel chapter 7. And um, you may also want to turn to Hebrews 2 and Mark chapter 6. Just put your finger there and hold that place. And uh, we're going to dive in this morning. We've At this time of year especially, we often read scripture about Jesus and the various attributes, his, his, the names that he's been given that represent who he is, that represent his characteristics, his roles, his responsibilities. We sang a song just a minute ago, naming several of those names, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Great I Am, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. This morning, I want us to talk for a few minutes about the title that Jesus is given, Son of Man. It was in the list of titles that we sang about just a moment ago. Son of Man is an incredibly important title and something really helpful for us, really incredibly helpful for us. And and one of my prayers has been that this time together wouldn't just be time together, but it would be incredibly helpful to us as God speaks this truth from His Word into our hearts and minds so that it helps us understand what God has done for us and what He continues to do for us. Son of Man, this title, Son of Man, is, it has a double meaning. It first comes, it, it comes from Daniel chapter 7, which you can read, and we'll, we'll take a look at that in a moment. And in Daniel 7, Daniel is talking about a, a prophecy. Daniel is a prophet, and he's had a vision about Jesus, Son of Man, coming from the clouds of heaven. So he does come from God. He is Son of God, but he's also human, Son of Man, is double meaning. And Jesus refers to himself more than any other title he gives himself. He gives himself the title Son of Man because he's wanting to identify with us. He's wanting us to be able to identify with him. Eighty-eight times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Son of Man. So don't think Jesus didn't claim to be the Messiah. Anytime Jesus in Scripture calls himself the Son of Man, he is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one sent from God to save, to rescue the world. Later, or actually earlier and later, we see the title Son of Man referring to human beings. Ezekiel is referred to as the Son of Man 93 times by God himself. So there's an identification we get with this term and the double meaning of it. Let's look and see what Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13. He says, I was watching, this is a vision he's had, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one, like the Son of Man, this is the title of Jesus, notice it's capital here, capital letters, coming with the clouds of heaven. So he comes out of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. That title is God's title. The Ancient of Days is referring to God the Father. So here he's watching in this vision, Jesus coming to God the Father. And they brought him, Jesus, near before him, God. Verse 14, then to him, to Jesus, was given dominion, meaning all authority. Remember in Matthew 28 when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, I have been given all authority. This is the place where that happens. God gives Jesus dominion, all power, 
all authority and glory. He's given the glory of God. Jesus comes and says, I'm here to glorify the Father, and the Father is going to glorify me. And then it goes on to say, and a kingdom. This is the kingdom of God he's talking about here. Why? Why is this important? He goes on to say in this vision, Daniel does, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Remember hearing a passage of scripture, maybe you've read this passage that says, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the fulfillment of this prophecy. His dominion is everlasting dominion. We read about that in Isaiah 9 at Christmas time every year. A kingdom that shall not have any end, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Nothing can bring an end to this kingdom. <clears throat> you know, if you study history at all, you know that there's never been a kingdom that was started early in antiquity that still exists today, right? Every kingdom on earth is temporary. We hate the thought of that as humans, but every kingdom on earth is temporary. The only kingdom that's going to last forever is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom, and he's been given that kingdom. That's Son of Man, Messiah, coming on the clouds with, from God to us. Now to come through the womb of a young girl named Mary to become fully human, Son of Man in that regard as well. So there, there we have this beautiful reality and powerful truth that is brought to bear in baby Jesus at Christmas time. Now, look with me in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, turn there, and we'll get there in just a moment. In Hebrews 2, we'll see how, and, and in Hebrews 4, we'll see clearly, plainly, that the Word of God tells us why he had to come and become human. See, what he was doing was identification. And we see this all the time. We see, we, we watch our political candidates try to identify with us, right? Here's the way this works. A political candidate will come to town, and this will happen in this next campaign. This will happen. Watch it. He, will want to ident he or she will want to identify with us. So what they'll do is they'll come to town, and they'll put on a three-piece suit and a tie, and they'll go and talk to a bunch of bankers and finance people, and they'll say, you know, I understand what's going on in the financial world. I get all the challenges with, the, the, with finance and banking because my grandfather was a banker, so I understand you. And then later in the day, he'll sit down with a group of farmers, and he'll be wearing a Carhartt jacket and a cap and a pair of blue jeans, and he'll say, you know, my mother's uncle was a farmer, and I understand what you're going through. Prices have fallen. Input costs are going up. You can't ever depend on the weather. Oh, I know your pain. 
And then that night, he'll go and sit down with a group of people who work in factories, and he'll put on a, a denim shirt and blue jeans and a hard hat, and he'll sit down and he'll say, you know, I understand the challenges of labor and hourly wages and difficulties with unions and all the stuff that you're dealing with. My mother's uncle's friend's neighbor's son was a factory worker. I get it. I understand what you're going through. But really, a lot of the time, they're just posers. Are you kidding me? Your mother's neighbor's uncle's son's, what? You don't know what I'm going through? But Jesus was not a poser. Jesus was the real deal. And when he came, he, you realize he was born in a very poor family. Within a few months of his birth, he became a refugee. They had to flee the country so he wouldn't be killed and, go, and move to Egypt. He was constantly dealing with the realities of life as we know it. And it's really, really important to us and to God that we connect with this truth so that we understand that Jesus came to be human and it was important that he does because of what he can accomplish as a result. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and watch what the writer here tells us. He says, therefore, since the children, the children of God he's talking about here, share in flesh and blood, we're all flesh and blood, right? He himself likewise also partook of the same. Jesus was flesh and blood. Skip down to verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. You see how Jesus becomes a bridge here? Because he has experienced everything we've experienced. He knows how much we need grace. He knows how much we need mercy. He knows how much we need a faithful high priest, the only one who has the ability to both go before God and become human and identify with us as well. Incredibly important, this greatest gift that we have been given. It goes on to say, he does this in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation, which is payment, for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he was able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. How many of you have ever been tempted? Come on now. We're all still breathing flesh and blood human beings. We've all been tempted, haven't we? We've all been tempted. And because we've been, because Jesus was human, he is all, was also tempted. He understands and he rescues us. He helps us in our temptation. That's pretty good news. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, 
Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You realize, you and I wouldn't have any prayer. We wouldn't have any ability or confidence at all to draw near to Jesus unless Jesus had become human and accomplished what he accomplished. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get close to God. God is too big, too powerful, too holy. Way too big. Way too holy. Way too powerful for us to come into his presence with any kind of confidence except for Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, God's word tells us Jesus understands and he's made a way. And now we can draw close to God and, and with confidence, with boldness come before him. Present our requests, our worship, and be confident and secure in his presence. He goes on, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Anybody ever have a time of need? Once, once in a while, have a time of need, don't we? We all do. So the good news is we can come boldly and confidently to God's throne of grace and receive help from this sympathetic Jesus who understands what we're going through. That's why it's so important for Jesus to become human. You know, we, we now have a bond with him. We can connect with who he is because he's connected with who we are. <clears throat> Many of you know I grew up on the farm. And uh, in, a, in, in a rural rural Missouri, Kathy and I both grew up in the same community. And uh, once in a while, we rarely would go to town, but once in a while, my dad and I would go to town and uh, go to the local coffee shop. Look at that little tea here. And anybody ever been in a coffee shop with a bunch of farmers in a small town? Anybody ever had that experience? <clears throat> so there could be 20, 30, 40 farmers in this little coffee shop, you know, all rattling their cups, uh, you know, insulting the waitress that she should come faster to refill their cup of coffee. And sitting around, you know, sort of bragging, telling stories, and doing what farmers do in coffee shops. If, if, and I've, I've seen this happen more than once. If someone comes to town who's not from that town and decides to go to the local cafe to have lunch and they walk in the door, there could be lots of cacophony of noise with all the farmers talking and you know utensils rattling. But when a new person walks through the door of a coffee shop in a town they're not from, everything goes silent. And everybody turns and looks at the door. And somebody at that moment needs to go, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> Isn't that what happens? Very uncomfortable feeling, especially for the person who's just walked through the door. Hopefully that never happens at church, right? Right? Hopefully that never happens at church. On the other hand, have you ever run into someone just sort of, you know, randomly and said so where are you from and had them say your hometown had them say that you find out that they you went to the same high school they went to have you ever had that experience 
isn't it amazing how instantly you have this bond? You start asking, well, do you know this person? Do you know this person? What about that teacher? What about this deal? What, you remember that? Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, you're fast friends. You've never met. Because there's a bond. There's a connection. You're identifying with one another. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to say, I've lived in your neighborhood. I've experienced what you've gone through. He became human so he could connect, so we could bond with him. Three things quickly, three ways Jesus identifies with our humanity. One is through, he understands relationships. Isn't it amazing how you don't have to get very old to know that relationships are complicated? And I figured out relationships were complicated in kindergarten. They don't get any easier, do they? Anybody had relationships just get easier for you? You need to write a book. Relationships are hard. Relationships are complicated. People are complicated. We're all, we all have messy lives, don't we? Let's look at Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Mark says, writes, someone is looking at Jesus, talking about him, and he says, Isn't this the, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, just take note of that for a second. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Here he refers to him as the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? In other words, he's got four brothers and more than one sister. So he he, he understands what family dynamics and family feuds and family challenges are all about, doesn't he? I mean, he had family feud in his family. We'll look at that in a minute. He understands what it's like when your brothers gang up on you and tie you to the tree and throw rotten tomatoes at you. He's experienced those kinds of things with his siblings. I mean, I was just thinking about this this week. Can you imagine, you know, growing up with Jesus as your older brother and having Mary, you know, look at you periodically and go, can't you just be more like Jesus? Or having her say to you, you know, next time you're faced with a difficult situation, just ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? Maybe you should wear a bracelet that says WWJD just to remind you to think about what Jesus would do if they you know. I think that those conversations might have happened. He experienced the frustrations of being in a family of humans, imperfect, messy people. Um, Jesus understood what, it, what it's like to be single. He was single for several years, knowing he would never have the kind of marriage that many of us get to experience. He knew that. He understood that. He, he gets it when you're all alone. He knows what it's like to only have God to go to. He gets it. He understands what it's like to be married. And some of you are going, say, what? What are you saying? What kind of heresy is that? In Revelation 21, it tells us one day we, the bride of Christ, he thinks of us as his bride. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5. In Revelation 21, it tells us we will be united with him in heaven, the bridegroom 
and the bride in the presence of God. We will all be one and we will be forever married to Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. So he understands what it's like to be married and he understands what it's like for his bride to be unfaithful, for a spouse to be unfaithful, doesn't he? I've been unfaithful to Jesus. He knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to have children. He was present at creation. He was part of the creative process. He thinks of us as his children as well. He knows what it's like to have disobedient children. Not that anybody here would need to know what that's like. Right? He knows. He gets it. He knows what we're going through. There's nothing you can talk to him about that he won't understand. So go and talk to him about everything. Can I say that one more time? There's nothing you can talk to Jesus about that he's not going to understand. So go and talk to him about everything. Let's see what happens with with Jesus and his family in Mark chapter 3. Let me set it up for you. By this time, the ministry of Jesus is started to take root and it's got momentum and lots of people, I mean, throngs of people know who Jesus is. And it's very controversial in several ways. And it won't take time to explain that right now, but there's a lots of pressure and tension around Jesus. And therefore, pressure and tension around the family of Jesus. And they're starting to feel really uncomfortable with this public presence of Jesus and everything everyone's saying about him and the danger that's associated with it. So they want it to stop. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, wants him to pull away from the crowds and, and stop doing some of the things he's doing. In Mark chapter 3, verse 31, we read, Then his mother and his brothers arrived. They went to the place where he was doing ministry. Standing outside the place, the building where he was in, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting right around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, See, he's, now he's, he's aligning a family that's all about the kingdom. He's now saying, we're related in the kingdom of God as family. If you're not going to align your life with God's will, you're not in the family. Even if you're his biological mother or brothers or sisters, that's his family. We are his family. But he was having a difficult time with his biological family. Anybody identify with that? <clears throat> I, mean, that's, I talk to a lot of people around the holidays and go, oh, Christmas is coming. I was like, what, what, you know, Christmas is a time, no, I've got to be with my family. <laughs> Happens a lot, doesn't it? Mark 3, 21, it says, when his own people, meaning his family, heard of this, They went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. (laughs) He's crazy. 
Jesus is crazy. That's what they were saying, right? We've all got a few of those in our families, don't we? If you can't think of anybody in your family, you may be the one. Uh, we're all dealing with the realities of messy human beings, aren't we? Even in our own families. Jesus understands family relationships, friendships, difficulties. Think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Closest, well, some of the closest friends. Jesus always stayed with them when he went to Bethany. Bethany beyond the Jordan. He'd stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus have a great time with them. They were just really, really close. So when Lazarus got sick, that's why they called for Jesus. Jesus, come quickly and pray, because we know if you come and pray, we know Lazarus will get well. And Jesus delayed a few days and didn't show up until Lazarus had been in the grave for more than three days. And Mary and Martha were ticked. They said, hey, Jesus, if you had come... He wouldn't be dead. He understands what it's like to have difficult. By the way, if you don't know the story, Jesus said, don't worry. And he went and raised Lazarus from the dead. Which was the miracle, by the way, just parenthetically, was the miracle that finally ended it all. It was the, the thing that happened that no one could deny when you raise someone from the dead that's been dead for four days, deterioration has already begun. And it's more than just, you know, lung back or air back in the lungs now. It's he has completely restored rotten flesh. I mean, this is way beyond anything else that's ever been done before. Nobody can deny now that he is the Messiah. <clears throat> he understands difficulty in relationships. Secondly, he understands work. He understands the difficulty that we have to, to deal with work. Jesus is a carpenter. I'll never forget Josh when our son Josh was 15. Um, I told him, I told both our kids before they turned 16 that when you turn 16, you need to have a part-time job or you need to start your own business. Not because I wanted him to work a lot and it wasn't, the money wasn't, that wasn't the deal. I wanted him to understand the value of work. And I wanted them to do that while they were still living in our house. So Josh decided he would start his own business. He started a little mowing business. And a couple weeks after he'd started, he came in one day, and he was hot and tired and dirty. He goes, Dad, this is hard work. I said, that's why they call it work. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Jesus understood that. He was a carpenter. He worked with his father until he began his public ministry at age 30. He understood hard work. He understood what that's like. I was trying to think, you know, what would his business have been called? Uh, maybe three-in-one builders or something. Maybe, I don't know. Think about it. Think about it. Solid rock carpentry. I don't know. He probably didn't need marketing, so it didn't matter. <clears throat> he knows what it's like to be in business, to have people lie to you, to have people who call themselves followers of God not pay their bills. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah. He knows what that's like. So he understands work. And finally, he understands pain. There's lots of things Jesus could, understands about us and about our lives. These are just three areas that we deal with on an everyday basis. We all deal with relationships. We all deal with work. And we all deal every day with pain. We all deal with emotional pain. 
in physical pain, don't we? Every day. And we will as long as we're here on this planet. As long, you know, this side of heaven, we'll deal with these issues. Jesus understands this. He understood emotional pain and physical pain. Let's see what the prophet Isaiah has to say about this. This is a prophecy that Jesus actually fulfilled. This is 400 years before Jesus arrives on the scene, a prophecy about Jesus and what he was going to experience. He said, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's, his, that's just his emotional pain. And then Isaiah goes on to talk about his physical pain. He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him and by his scourging your translation may say by his stripes we are healed you know Jesus Jesus was despised and rejected from beginning to end think about it he's born and has to his parents have to flee the country to save his life Move back eventually into Israel to go live in Nazareth, which made him sort of a laughingstock. It's like growing up in some backwater place that nobody wants to be from. He's poor. He works hard. He's rejected by everybody. I mentioned earlier... <clears throat> the passage of scripture that talks about him being the son of Mary. If you read through the gospels, maybe you've noticed that the first two years of Jesus' ministry, he's referred to often as the son of Joseph. Starting about the beginning of the third year of his ministry, he begins to be referred to as the son of Mary. Most theologians believe it's because his father Joseph died about that time. You realize Jesus could have raised Joseph from the dead, right? But in God's wisdom, he decided not to. But that also means that he can identify with us when we lose somebody in an untimely way. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, we know Joseph is dead by now because he looks down at his mother who is there and one of his closest friends, the Apostle John, and he says, woman, this is your son, and son, this is your mother. He's connecting them for life. From that moment forward, John would take care of Mary as the older son. And he did. He did that until she died. He moved her all the way out of Israel, across the land of Turkey, and to the coastline on the western coast of Turkey in the city of Ephesus. They lived there until Mary died several years later. 
So we know that Jesus lost his father. He was acquainted with, with grief, the Bible tells us. He understood. He can identify then with our pains and our gains and the stains of this world. Because this world gets puts stains on us, doesn't it? He suffered. He suffered the shame. He suffered being blamed. <clears throat> He's experienced everything we've ever experienced. He came from heaven to be fully human so that he could accomplish what you and I need so desperately. Think about it this way. Jesus comes and does the great exchange. The greatest gift becomes the greatest exchange. He exchanges as he gives us himself. He exchanges our pain and our problems for his power and his presence. And then he throws in a double portion and gives us his peace. And that's only possible because he is son of God and son of man. That's who he is. And that's why he's the greatest gift. And this morning as you're sitting here, my prayer for every single one sitting in this room is that he really is truly your greatest gift. That this is more than something you know about. My prayer is that this is something you've experienced, something you have received, something you've made your own. Because it doesn't do any good to know about it if you don't receive it, does it? You could explain it to somebody else, but you may not have received it yourself. That's why Jesus has done what he's done, so that you could receive relationship with him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I want to give you some time to simply pray between you and the Father. <clears throat> Bring your heart, your life, and allow God through the Holy Spirit to minister to you in these quiet moments. Father, as we bow our hearts before you this morning, our hearts are full of gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done for us. Thank you for helping us see and understand. And now, help us once again to receive everything you've done for us. The way you want to identify and bond with our hearts and Draw us to yourself and, and woo us to yourself because of your love and kindness towards us. Lord, I just, I just sense that there are some here this morning who need to say to you, God, I need to know you. I, I know about you and I've, I've known 
there is a God and a little of what you've done, but I, I don't really know you. And right now, God, I want to say to you that I really do, with all my heart, I want a relationship with you. I desire that. I desire you and your grace to fill me. I need your forgiveness. I need you to restore my life, my heart and my mind. I want to be adopted by you as your son or as your daughter. I need you. And I want to live my life with you, not apart from you. I want to know you, not just know about you. If that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you're coming back to God and that's you, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. That's me. Amen. Praise God. Father, as we, <clears throat> as we receive your presence, as we live in your truth, lead us, God, to, to draw close to you as you draw close to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.